Greetings of the day, my fellow listeners, and welcome to another edition of Seize Your Business. My name is Steve Eschbach. I am an owner and I'm a member of the Naperville Business Lounge here in Naperville, Illinois. I'm also the uh, owner of Trans World Business Advisors. We are a mergers and acquisitions specialist firm. We are the largest business brokerage in the world, and we are also the fastest growing as well. I'm delighted to uh, have Tim Pabbitt, a good friend and business colleague, be here in the uh, local Naperville area. He is the Chief Executive Officer of Magnatech. And Tim, first of all, thank you very much for joining us and uh, tell us a little about, uh, about your business. Steve, thanks for having me. Uh, so I started Magnatech uh, 10 years ago and uh, I've been working in computer science and IT for the last almost 20 years now. And uh, so, uh, you know, spent, spent a little bit of time in a Fortune 500 company, spent some time consulting as well, where I got my first taste of managed services, working for a company that was based in Phoenix. Worked for um, uh, several uh, local companies doing some break fix type work. And then the idea came about for me to start my own company just because I wanted to experience entrepreneurship, uh, experience financial freedom, being able to work for myself and not necessarily have to report to some other authority that I didn't necessarily agree with. So for all of those uh, rebellious reasons, uh, I decided to start my own company. And uh, it's, it, I guess we can probably say it's worked out. Uh, to this point, to get to 10 years is a, a good accomplishment, uh, but I couldn't do it alone. I, I, I spent the first, you know, four years working uh, basically for, you know, alone as a one-man shop, uh, got a few breaks here and there, you know, put in the time, did a lot of networking, uh, shook a lot of hands, tried to make a good impression on people. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes you don't necessarily meet your customer. You meet somebody else who introduces you to your customer. So we've had some of, we've had some of that along the way and uh, built that into, you know, the company that I have now, we've got um, 20 uh, people in the company now and, and, and growing. And, you know, we've, we've swallowed a few whales along the way and uh, which is, which is a, a great way to grow, but um, it can be stressful at times. So uh, yeah. So that's, uh, that's, that basic story. Um, we can get deeper if you want, but we're, we're going to get a little deeper. And everything okay. you said in that opening commentary, Tim, is what I have found with so many other entrepreneurs, the ups and downs and uh, had corporate experience. And now you're on your own. Uh, there's what we call derivative networking, which you say sometimes the people you meet are not your customer, but they introduce you to someone else. We're going to talk right. a little bit more about that in a moment. But what I like to ask my guests is tell me a little bit about your childhood. Where were you born and raised? And what type of influence did your parents and or other family members have on you and where you are today? So I was born in the Bucktown neighborhood of Chicago, um, right off the Kennedy Expressway, right at you know, Armitage and Damon, right there at that humongous Catholic church sitting there, St. Mary the Angels. That's where I was baptized. My parents were actually uh, from that neighborhood. So they grew up there. And uh, so I was born there. But when we were two years old, we moved to Harwood Heights. Uh, which is in, uh, in Norwood Park on the northwest side, right by O'Hare. Uh, my parents were ready to leave the city, and they, they, they said they kicked themselves later because as the neighborhood got gentrified and, you know, got rebuilt and uh, it turned into a gold mine, and they're like, man, if we would have stuck this out. But 
they they decided to move to a semi um, urban suburban kind of like a hybrid which is kind of what Howard, Howard Heights was it's a suburb but uh, still very city like with the buses and the airplanes and everything like that but that's where I grew up I went to uh, you know Union Ridge Elementary School in Howard Heights I grew up right across the street from the school um, my dad resurrected the uh, Little League program there in Harwood Heights. So um, I played baseball there. Um, and uh, there are a lot of, lot of kids that grew up uh, in the 80s and 90s that have a lot of fond memories of, of playing baseball in Harwood Heights. So, uh, you know, that's, uh, that was how I spent most of my summers. summers. And then uh, I went to Ridgewood High School in Norwich, uh, played uh, two sports there and uh, graduated, went to DePaul University, lived on campus there. Uh, that's where I met, you know, finally started dating my wife because she went to Loyola. And uh, even though she's also a Howard Heights person, so um, from the same neighborhood, but really didn't get together until college. And then uh, we, we lived there. We, we got married. We lived there um, until 2012 when, uh, you know, several other family members made the move to Naperville. And then uh, we started coming out to Naperville a lot uh, just to visit for parties and things like that, really fell in love with the community. Um, and then uh, right when um, my oldest was born, she's 10 now, but right when, uh, when my wife and I were pregnant with the first is when my wife started looking at listings for Naperville. So uh, even though both sets of parents are st were still in Harwood Heights at the time, uh, my wife wanted to raise our family, Noth nothing against Harwood Heights, but probably for the same reasons that my parents moved me is why um, you know, just, just to experience something different with more opportunity and more, uh, services for kids and schools are the best in the country. Uh, that's, that's why we made the move. Um, I had already started Magnatech. I was two years in when my, um, so my oldest who's 10, um, was only a couple months old when I decided I was going to make that, that, that leap. Um, and for me personally, that was when I was probably at that that point of no return where it's like, if I don't do this now, it's going to be increasingly harder for me to do it when I, when the risk is even greater, you know, when, you know, now I have two kids and, and my wife stays home. So my wife was a nurse still is, uh, she still has her license active, but she was a, uh, you know, registered nurse. So at least we had, you know, I was able to count on her from an income standpoint in order for me to make this, this leap. And so you know, we moved to Naperville. Uh, I joined the Naperville Area Chamber of Commerce, got in the directory, started calling a bunch of people, and um, the rest is history on that. Sounds so good. You know, it's funny. Um, you were born and raised in Chicago. I was born and raised in New York City. And re uh, fast forward the videotape, we are now within a stone's throw of each other in the same neighborhood here in Naperville. That's right. It's a small world, but couple, you know, couple blocks, couple couple blocks away. Absolutely. Your point about getting involved with the Naper, Naperville Area Chamber of Commerce is critically important, as is getting involved in other activities in the community. But um, were you an IT um, uh, geek back when you were growing up or did your corporate career kind of move you to IT? Have you always been in, in, uh, in IT? Even when I would say, yeah, I would say from the time I was small uh, in elementary school, I liked computers and we had the, the Apple II um, in the schools and, and the, the, the GS model of Macintosh. I mean, we had, we had computers in our school. So I think all of the kids got excited when we went into the computer class or we had computer you know, lab and stuff like that. And I even remember staying after school 
um, several times a week to like play on the computers because you can game and do stuff for an hour. And I think that was a service that the school put out there for, for some parents that maybe couldn't get their kids at 3.30, you know? So you were able to do like an after school thing and play on the computers. So I remember playing Oregon Trail and playing some other games that involved math where you had to think about, you know, uh, certain things. So the games were educational, but I remember doing that. That was always fun. And uh, so when we got our first computer, my parents didn't really know anything about computers. My dad was a school teacher, um, but he was physical education and health and stuff. So he didn't, he, he didn't really know computers. He was kind of illiterate on that. Um, my mom, you know, um, worked on a computer, but, you know, uh, in her office job, but, you know, probably didn't know a ton about it. And we actually got a free computer from somebody. Um, it was a, a 386. And so for some of you that don't know those models, I mean, it was straight trash by today's standards. I mean, there was no sound card, um, you know, it was just terrible, slow, uh, but it was a free computer. So I remember learning how to play solitaire and do all this stuff. So I, I guess to answer your question, I was always like interested in, in, in computers, even from a young age. Um, I grew up, um, I was born in 1980, so I'm 40. And when I was graduating high school, um, I graduated high school in 1998. So it was right before Y2K. So the, the idea was, you know, going to computer science, you'd have a job. That was always the, 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 the deal. But we, we took, I took computer classes in, in, in high school as well. Um, Hypercard, some basic programming things, graphics, visual basic, um, little things like that, just to kind of get some foundation. And then when I went to DePaul, you know, I, uh, I went into the field. Uh, so I, I always took a liking to it. Um, I didn't necessarily care for math, but you had to take a lot of math. I, I wasn't big on science, even though I find it fascinating now as an adult, I didn't have the appreciation as a 16 year old, uh, for, for some of those things, but, uh, I knew I could talk and I, I knew I could, you know, sell and, and do some of those things. So if I could apply some of those basic skills of technology to business, I knew that that was going to be a good career for me. Absolutely. So it's always been in your blood and, uh, being an entrepreneur kind of a, was a, uh, an offshoot. You had corporate experience and then you decided to become an entrepreneur. For those of you that are listening, a real quick tidbit. Uh, Tim was born the year I graduated college and I started my business around the same time that he did. So not to worry if you're a little bit older than Tim and not quite as old as me, you can still become an entrepreneur and, 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 and fulfill your dream, so to speak. So now let's come up to uh, today. You're running Magnatech. You're providing a service that most of your clients do need. What are some of the IT issues that face most business owners? You're clearly helping a variety of different business types. So what is like the common thread, two or three things that are missing from what corporations and businesses do that you can, uh, you can help them solve? Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing is, is best practices, just, just having a good advisor that can, that can help them with some of the challenges that they just don't know. You know, they don't know what they don't know. Uh, cybersecurity is obviously a big one. Disaster, you know, backup and disaster recovery is another big one. Having good, reliable tech support is another one. Uh, just, just, you know, I think a lot of companies, what I've, what I've learned is that a lot of companies really don't want to buy what we do. They just don't. And not to sound defeatist, it's just, you see it all the time. How do you explain these big, large companies that have what we would perceive to be an endless supply of, of, of financial resources to throw at IT related issues, cybersecurity stuff still get hacked. They still get, they still get hit. They still get breached. And you would think that they would have all of the resources possible to, to ensure that this doesn't happen to them. And yet it does. That's, 
that's what's amazing to me. So uh, it, it just goes to show that they really don't want to buy this stuff. They do it almost kicking and screaming. They, they protect themselves because they feel like it's a necessary evil, but they would rather have nice, fun, cool things. I realize I don't sell cars. I don't sell vacations. I don't sell airplanes, boats, all that stuff. I don't sell cool things that people like. Um, we sell what's necessary to survive in, in business these days. And it's just, you know, because the not having it and getting breached and getting attacked and losing your reputation and losing money, uh, you know, you don't get another, you don't get another chance. It's very, very easy to lose your business in one failed keystroke. So, you know, uh, so, uh, you know, again, I I think just at the end of the day, businesses just want good, reliable, trust worthy people leading their tech, their tech team. And so that's what we, that's what we bring to the table. I think the advantage that we have as an outsourced IT department versus, you know, hiring somebody in-house is hiring talent is not easy. I do it for a living. I mean, I'm always looking for IT people here. Um, the, the advantage I have is I know how to ask the tough inter- interview questions. I know how to cut through and vet the right way where other businesses might not know how to do that. So, you know, um, it is, it is a, a convenience uh, financially to, to hire and outsource a company like mine to do these things because of the uh, hard is, you know, hire and retain talent right. and train them and train them. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to kind of take your comments and kind of uh, interpret them a little bit differently. But I think what you're demonstrating, Tim, is the fact that many businesses do need collaborative efforts of those that are specialized and skilled in areas where they are not. And not to, I don't want to put this in a bad frame of mind, but you're basically a necessary evil. And I can tell you earlier today, I was through my inbox looking at a past client, looking for a past client that I need to get back in touch with. So I can tell you that IT is critically important, whether you're a business broker, no matter what it is you do, even if you're selling cars, selling you know, vacations, whatever, that IT component of your business is critically essential. And to protect it is equally as important as well, right? Yeah. And I, and I don't mean to paint with such a broad brush. I'm not to suggest here that businesses don't appreciate technology and the things that we do, um, they do. Um, but, but on a, on a wider scale, when people are deciding, okay, you know, do we buy this or do we buy that? Or we need this or we need that. The, the IT department is usually on the bottom half of, of the priority list. Uh, and, and until something bad happens. And then if something bad happens, then we're at the top, then it's like, okay, how do we mitigate so that this doesn't happen again? I think what we try to do is we try to we try to avoid that mistake and say, hey, listen, don't wait for something bad to happen before you take this seriously. You got to take it seriously now. Um, there's been enough enough case studies, enough press out there that that should probably signal you that you need to do this. Um, so so I just wanted to clear that part up. Yeah. That makes sense. Thanks for doing that. Um, we have so much more we can cover, but there's a couple of areas that I want to talk to you about that are critically important. Now, you mentioned that you are part of the Naperville Area Chamber of Commerce. And not only were you and I team B2B members at one point in time, I took a look through the Naperville Area Chamber of Commerce, and you have one person on each of the teams in the Naperville Area Chamber of Commerce. And that points to how visibility and exposure is critical. And not only are you involved with that, you and I are fellow board members of the Career Networking Center here in Naperville as well. So Mm -hmm. talk to me a little bit about how community involvement which I think many business owners may not think is important, 
is really important because you need to be the known quantity out there. Tell me how that helped your business. Because like I said, you got four or five people in various Naperville area chamber of commerce teams. Well, part, part, of, part of what determines my decisions on community, um, and community is just one pillar. And when I, what I mean by pillar is that we've got, one of the things I had to define going into this, going into this business was what were my values? What were the things I wanted to be known for? And, and, and I, the, that was my foundation to, to push the, the ball forward. Um, you know, serving the community is one of those pillars. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of reasons why you'd want to serve the community. One, because it makes you feel good, but also it demonstrates that it, by, by demonstrating your commitment to your community, the, the name recognition, the brand, the, the things that we're doing should elevate us over our competitors because we, we do try to give back. We are trying to get involved. We do sponsor not-for-profits. Uh, we've got our rotation of, of, of organizations that we support. And, you know, we can't just be in this to take. We have to be able to give back as well. And that's, that's important. So serving the community is, is a big piece. Um, we, we, we leverage that servitude as marketing in a lot of ways, um, you know, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, I think that the community, in order for us to, in order for us to support the community to the best of our ability, we have to get something. To, we have to get something as well, uh, because not-for-profits rely on the for-profit sector to help them. So it is an ecosystem, you know. So what we've tried to do is we've tried to say, hey, listen, okay, we will support this, we'll sponsor this, but can we be considered, you know, for these projects that you might have, or the, uh, you know, you got to do this work, why not hire us to do it? And then we can kick back and support you right back, you know? So there's, there's, there has to be some of that. And I've learned that from some other people in the community that I've sat down with, and they've told me, they've told me this before, you know, you have to, you know, you have to work out what they call these barter deals, you got to do it, you know, and that's okay. Um, But that builds up our it builds up our stack a little bit and allows us to get better at what we do. And at the same time, we can serve the community. But yeah, the chamber has been a, a great organization for us in terms of exposure. I mean, we, we, uh, we are very active in, in, in the chamber. We could always do more, I'm sure, but, but that's, uh, that's what we've, we've decided to do. Um, you know, whether it's sponsoring a hole at the golf outing and I, when I, I stack a whole bunch of people at the hole and, you know, serving drinks and stuff like that, we, we tried to make a presence everywhere we've been. And I think that that, uh, has, has paid some dividends for us. I would agree with you. Visibility is key. I wrote a book and one of the chapters is on how you've got to make yourself visible and you have to be the known quantity. And that also builds the trust, which in in turn gets you the referrals and you do vice versa. I mean, they refer you, you refer them. I do the same thing with what I do. So I think that is so critically important. Hey, uh, Tim, we're unfortunately coming to about the end of our time here. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want our audience to know? Anything I have missed or that we want you to talk about a little bit? Well, um, you know, I think the, the biggest thing is just, you know, yeah, uh, boy, I could talk forever, but I, I would say, um, if you're an entrepreneur and you are really interested in pursuing your dream, I think it's always good to have a coach, always good to have a mentor, always have somebody that you can bounce things off of. 
uh, I joined a group called Vistage when I was first coming up. Um, we, uh, you know, it's a peer group. It's a, it's a peer, uh, CEO peer group. Um, you, you're normally in a group with other people in different industries. So you don't have to necessarily worry about, you know, airing out the dirty laundry, so to speak with your competitors, but you're, you're, you're with people that aren't emotionally attached. So they can give you the most logical, you know, um, uh, advice that they can give you, but it's a good way to get a board of advisory out of, out of that. Um, I would also recommend that you get some sort of coach or some sort of mentor that you can talk to and text or anytime, anything, anytime something pops into my brain, which is, it could be at any random hour of the day or night, um, knowing that you can just text somebody and get a response, I think is important. I think that's good. Uh, you know, one of the things I've learned over the last 10 years is, is that sometimes you have to let go a little bit and, and um, give up some control and let your people be a part of the solution and let them drive. It's okay. You know, at the end of the day, I'm accountable and, and I have to make the ultimate decision. But, you know, just this morning, Steve, I had a group of six people in the boardroom and we were having a strategy session. It was an impromptu meeting. Um, we weren't we were going to come out of that maybe with some good ideas and some good, and some good thoughts, but I want them to come up with, you know, I'll ask them point blank. What do you think we should do? What do you think we should do about this? You know, and let them come up with the answers because they have to buy in. If they don't buy in and, and I, and I make a decision, they have to live with that. And so I want them to feel like they are developing the solution for me to approve versus me just tell them this is what they're going to do. People don't like to be told necessarily what to do. They want to feel like they are contributing in some way to the, to the direction of the organization. I think that's really important to scale. I totally, I totally agree with you, Tim. You know, there's so much more we can talk about here, but this is a good introductory overview of how you are successful and how you depend on others to assist you going forward. And I know for a fact you're growing. You've been around for 10 years. I know you're growing. Mm -hmm. So that's also a good sign. So Listen to what Tim is telling you, folks, because uh, there's critical elements in there to help you succeed as entrepreneurs. Last but not least, Tim, where can we go to find out more information about you and your company? All right. So thanks. Um, uh, the company URL is magnatech.com. That's M-A-G-N-I-T-E-C-H.com. If you uh, want to look up me, um, my last name is Pabic, P-A-B-I-C-H. If you just look me up on LinkedIn, I'm the only Tim Pabic around. Go ahead and connect with me. Hit me, send me a message. That's cool. I always like to chat with people. I'm a very social person and I'd be more than happy to share any thoughts or ideas I have with you. And I know that for a fact because Tim and I, uh, we, we get involved quite a bit in our business and uh, social endeavors as well. So Tim, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for sharing your insights. Audience, I thank you for joining us for another edition of Seize Your Business. There'll be plenty of more and Tim might come back as well because as he and I both said, there's a lot more we can talk about and more we can share with you. Thanks so much for your time and we'll see you on another edition of Seize Your Business.